Welcome. <laughs> Hello, Desi. <laughs> Hello and welcome. My name is Adam Curtis, and I'm the curate here at Christchurch. And hello and welcome to everyone who's watching on the live stream. As we uh, come to God's word, please do keep uh, Luke 6 open in front of you. Um, But let us come in humility and prayer. Dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we thank you that you are the speaking God. You are the God who has made yourself known. We thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. You have spoken to us through through your son and by your spirit. You are still speaking to us today. Father God, as we hear these words of Jesus, these hard words of Jesus, may may we hear them and may we do them. May we be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock so that when the storm does come, the house does stand. In the name of Jesus, amen. Everyone is an influencer. Everyone in this room, everyone watching is an influencer. Now you might think, how Adam Curtis am I an influencer? Because when we think about influencers, uh, in our modern culture, we probably think of those social media influencers who, who gain the title. Maybe uh, uh, I think Kylie Jenner, who's got 252 million social media f- uh, followers, or Dwayne Johnson with his 200 million uh, social media followers, The Rock. They're, they're influencers. Or we might think in a more traditional sort of sense, uh, uh, Reverend Tom, well, he's an influencer. Um, we... It's true, those sort of people are influencers, but how can each of us be influencers? The reality is, in in small and in big ways, we all influence those people around us. My uh, my parents um, once uh, came and had tea and coffee with uh, Tom and Katie, and they had a a lovely time uh, uh, chatting away, and they spent a lot of time talking about Korean dramas. And then from this talk about Korean dramas, my parents now watch Korean dramas. They've been influenced (laughs) <laughs> and so tragically there was a moment during lockdown where I was bubbling with the Parsons would go around there, hear about Korean dramas call at home, hear more about Korean dramas it was a low point <laughs> but Jesus is calling all of us to be Christian influencers all of us are influencers and Jesus is calling us today to be a Christian influencer now, there's, there's, there's way we influence in sort of official capacities as, a, as, as preachers, as proclaimers of the good news. We're influencers. But also in, in uh, our Pathfinder leaders or our Cypher leaders or our kids' church leaders are influencers. Or our home group leaders are influencers. But then we're also influencing, whether it be a godparent is influencing their godchild or a grandparent is influencing their grandchild or a parent is influencing their child. But actually, even, even our circles go broader than that. Neighbours influence neighbours and friends influence friends. Not just in the world of, uh, of the social media phenomena, but in the world of personal uh, relationships. We're all influencers, and Jesus is asking us to be a Christian influencer. So what does it li- look like to be a Christian influencer? Or another word could be a teacher. What does God have to say to us uh, today? Well, as we land here in, uh, in Luke chapter, chapter 6, please do keep it open as we'll be delving in, we hit this uh, 
Sermon on the Plain. And Jesus has gathered his disciples together. He's gathered his disciples together. And even though there's a, there's a huge crowd of people, he is speaking directly to his disciples, these, these 12. And he's just speaking to his like, influencers, to the people who he's training up to go in and teach, to go and proclaim, to go and influence. So we have Jesus gathering his uh, 12 together. And then we uh, uh, looked two weeks ago at the way of the blessed. And we saw that actually the way of the blessed, the way of the happy, well, actually, it, it doesn't really fit in tune with our world's perspective of blessing and happiness. And actually, the way of the blessed can be a way of persecution and of, of tears and of sadness. But in the, that persecution, tears and sadness, there's great rejoicing because joy is found in heaven when we are persecuted for the name of Jesus. And actually, with this in mind, this idea of uh, the disciples hearing being told the way of the blessed is the way of persecution, we then, then pushes, Jesus pushes it even further. And actually, these people who are persecuting you, these enemies of yours, you're meant to love them. We saw that with Tom last week. And now God is going even further. Jesus is going even further to show us what, is it, what, it, what it looks like to, be, to live this way of the blessed. And that's now how we come to verse uh, 20, 37, sorry. Because here we're seeing Jesus say that this way of the blessed, even though it includes persecution, um, actually, this, this is the way we must, we must go. This is the way we must follow. And actually, in this way of the blessed, how you treat people matters. How we treat people matters. Verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Forgive. Forgive. Now that, that, that's, that's hard to do. If anyone actually has experienced someone who you describe as an enemy, it is hard not to judge and condemn them. And actually, if we think, oh, well, that's an easy thing to do, we've probably just never in life experienced someone who we'd call an enemy. And I remember that. I remember being, like, 19 at university and, and reading through the Gospels and coming to words like this and being like, I think I'm really good at this. <laughs> this whole loving enemies thing, I think I've got it down. I don't think I had an enemy. I don't think I had an enemy, so I don't think I realized what it was to love them and to not judge them. But once you have someone who is persecuting you, who the pressure is coming down on you, that the natural instinct is to rage and to roar and to judge and condemn. So these are hard words, but they're important words because how we treat people matters. And how we treat people is how we will be treated. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If we follow this, uh, this sort of teaching, don't judge, don't condemn, but forgive, actually the, the, there is a reward in this. And that language of verse 38 there, it's the language of like a corn seller, a good corn seller. Someone who, who fills up their jar of corn, and then who, who what are the exact words, a good measure, they press, they fill up the jar, then they press it down so you get it all, then they shake it together and, and pour in even more. So it's, 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 it's filled and it's overflowing. 
Now, I decided that the wardens might tell me off if I tried to pour loads of corn all over the place. But marshmallows, <laughs> I thought, might be an easier one to tidy up. Now, I will admit, I haven't actually practiced this, which is probably every, every preacher's mistake. But here we go. Here's my jar, and I'm filling it up with these apps. Look at the size of these marshmallows. I was like, kids today, they don't know how lucky they have it. <laughs> okay, so the jar is being filled up to the top with these mega marshmallows. And then I'm pushing, I'm pushing it down, pushing it down, being very careful my, my hand doesn't stick. And then I'm going to fill it up even, even more. I'm giving it a shake, getting them further in, filling it up even more. And we're filling it up even more. And those who don't judge and don't condemn but forgive, it's being filled up even more. Filled up, filled up, filled up. Until it is... Oh, can we get them out? Until it is absolutely overflowing. Until it's overflowing. Until it's full. Until the lid can't even go on it. That's the reward. Not of marshmallows, thank goodness. It's better than that. It's the glory of God's presence. It's the wonderful reality of heaven, of a new creation. It's the joy of a feast which will never end, of having a room in our Father's house and a place at his table. It is the joy of God's very presence. That is the reward for all those who do not judge and do not condemn, but forgive, but forgive. Now you might be looking at that illustration. You might be hearing these words. Okay, don't, don't judge, don't condemn, forgive, and then, and then you get the rewards of heaven. This sounds wonderful, but also I, I thought it was salvation by, by faith. I thought that's how we entered heaven, was we believe that Jesus Christ is, is the Lord and, and our Savior. And that is, that is true, but when we believe this reality, when we acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, this changes us. By his very Holy Spirit, he's changing us from the inside out. Bonhoeffer, the great um, German theologian who resisted uh, Hitler, he, uh, he said these famous words, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When we come to Jesus, we, we, we die to the old self, but we rise again to the new self. And we are changed. We are transformed. In dying, we are born again. In dying, we are born again. And as, as, as born again, as believing in Jesus, as being filled by the Holy Spirit, it, the, 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 the desire now is, is changing us so that we will become people who do not judge and condemn, but forgive, but forgive. And this, uh, this matters because, because we are people of influence. Because we are people uh, of influence, Influence. We're going to be influencing the people uh, around us, and these uh, these people who um, who the disciples need to get ready to deal with these enemies who are going to persecute them, literally, <laughs> and and those people who 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 can hurl insults and abuse on us, who we might use that title of enemies with. Well, these people who make us 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 weep, we are their chance of hearing and knowing about Jesus of hearing and knowing about Jesus and seeing Jesus. And our reality is when that abuse comes hurled towards us, well, the natural instinct is to fight, is to rage, is to roar. But if we put up those walls and if we fight fire 
with fire, then actually the, these people who are hurling insults at us, well, we are fundamentally, we're influencing them in the same way and we are the blind leading the blind. And actually when we who are blind lead those who are blind, we'll just all fall into a pit. It's not going to work. We who know Christ need to teach people about Christ. And we teach him through the way that we live. Verse 40, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. We're influencers. We're called to be Christian influencers. We're all called to be, called to be Christian teachers to, to our children, to grandchildren, to godchildren, to neighbors, to friends, to work colleagues, to people in our lives, to people in our church. We're all influencers. We're all teaching. And actually, we can never expect a student to rise above the position of a teacher. So this means that there should be no Christian trolls on social media. It means that we should be able to open up the joys of, 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 of Twitter and not see any abuse being hurled at, at the latest uh, uh, atheist leader. But, but if anyone who has Twitter, you'll know that Christian trolls are very regular and normal. This means, do not judge, do not condemn, but forgive, that Richard Dawkins should never have received any hate mail. He should never have received any hate mail wanting, wanting his death and his humiliation and his murder. And yet that's what he's received again and again and again. None of that should have happened because Jesus says, do not judge, do not condemn, but forgive, but forgive. And when this does happen, it, the... the, the the world this creates is a beautiful world. Uh, a writer who I strongly admire called Rosaria uh, Butterfield, she was um, an American sort of liberal uh, academic, uh, very far into the liberal academic sort of like camp, uh, and had a really just uh, atheist sort of like uh, worldview, deeply um, angry sort of perspective uh, against Christians and the Christian right. And in her academic sort of lefty sort of world, she wanted to write about the Christian right. And she wanted to, to particularly to, to attack um, the Bible. And um, she, wanted, she wanted to do this, and so she decided she'd read through her hate mail. <laughs> so she read through her hate mail, and as she was reading through this uh, hate mail, she, she received one bit of uh, mail, which she wouldn't describe as hate mail at all. It was, it was gracious, and it was kind, and it was, uh, it was compassionate, and it was thoughtful. And it was from an educated um, man. So she decided that she would try and engage with this, uh, this pastor because she wanted to understand Christianity. She wanted to write this book to critique it, so she wanted to understand it first. And so she, she wrote to the pastor, and, and they had email sort of conversations, and then, and then she ended up driving over to have dinner with, uh, with him and his wife. Um, and, and it took her a long time. She sat in her car. She writes about it in, in many of her books. She sat in her car just waiting outside this house, just this building sort of sense of like fear. <laughs> like, 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 like I'm this, this extreme left-wing, like anti-Christian sort of academic who feels like really hated and belittled by Christians and, and I'm going to enter like into one of their homes. Uh, anyway, she, she, she walks through that door and as she walks through that door, she enters into a, into a space which is defined by love and forgiveness and kindness and grace. And she has a meal with them once, and then twice, and then again, and then again, and again. And she finds herself in their home week after week after week. And, and the Sundays, she's not in her home. She wants to be in their home. 
because she finds them so attractive and so appealing. And they, they held every single contentious sort of belief in our society today, they held them, but they were kind and they were generous and they were gracious. And over, and over these years of this friendship deepening and deepening, well, like her atheist sort of worldview started just to like crumble around her. And she started to see that this community and this life she, she was living, she started to see how, how hollow it was and shallow it was. And how actually in this home was the first time she'd experienced real love and real community. And she gave her life to Jesus. That is how beautiful it is when we realize that we are Christian influencers. And when we do not judge and we do not condemn. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi has many a famous quote. Some of them um, I don't like. <laughs> but this one I do. Before they will listen to, you, to the sermon on your lips... They have to hear the sermon in your life. Before they will listen to the sermon on your lips, they have to hear the sermon in your life. So this, this means that we've got to be individuals who examine ourselves. We are influencers. We can't stop that. So we have, thus have to be people who examine ourselves. Because how we treat the other people around us will be leading them, will be affecting them, will be changing them. Verse 31. 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrites! First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We may be the only Christians our friends and neighbours know. So we must live in a way which exalts Jesus Christ. But we do not simply um, live, for Je- live for Jesus. We're also those who speak for Jesus. It is when we speak, it is when people hear the good news that they have an opportunity to repent and to believe. That couple and that story of Rosaria Butterfield, it was love, but it was, also, it was also words. But we can only speak when we're ready to speak. We can only speak when we're ready to speak. First, we've got to examine ourselves. Now, Jesus, here in this famous um, line uh, about judging your brother, he sort of changes the, the language. He's not so much talking about your enemies as he was before. He's now talking about your family. And I don't know about you, but that just feels like the, the knife of Jesus' words enters my heart and just twists that little bit deeper. Because if I can, can criticise those people who hurl insults at me, I can rip my family apart. I can rip my family apart. And that's why these words twist. And Jesus is saying very simple things to us here. Stop and look at yourself first. You've got to get rid of that plank. The plank has to go. Because think about the, the difference in perspective. Plank, sawdust, speck. But also think about the angle. We see the plank. We have the plank. They have the speck. The onus is always on us. And it, it never, it's never done. We will never come to this stage where we are until we reach the new creation that is where we are this holy perfect pure being the plank is always in our eyes this the emphasis is always on us to deal with the plank 
The emphasis is always on us. And only when that plank is gone are we then able to be useful. Only when that plank is gone are we able to get rid of the speck, to say things which are going to be loving and truthful, to say them in a way which is going to be graceful, yet firm. Only then, when we've examined ourselves first. Imagine, if you will, that you've gone to the dentist to get a tooth removed. You've gone to the dentist to get a tooth removed. And as your, your dentist comes in, she comes in, she walks in, and you sort of look up, and all you can see is this huge sort of plank coming out of her eyes. And then she walks over to you, and you're just lying there on the chair. She walks over to you, then she moves to the left, bangs, knocks the nurse over, moves to the right, bangs, all the stuff's just in, on the floor everywhere. And you're looking there, and you're like, please, someone get this plank out of this dentist's eye. She can't get this tooth out of here. Someone's got to remove that plank. We need an eye surgeon. That dentist needs an eye surgeon to come in here and to remove that plank so she can be a good dentist and get rid of the tooth. We need to examine ourselves. Does, um, as listening to this, don't judge, don't condemn, forgive. Think about the plank before you think about the speck. Does it slightly stress you out? Does it slightly, stress, it slightly stresses me out. I know these words. These are probably some of the most famous words Jesus has ever preached, and yet I still judge, and yet I still condemn, and yet I still find it hard to forgive. And yet I, when I see a fault in others, I'm like, come on! But if they ever did that to me, I'd be like, how dare you say anything? <laughs> you hear these words? They slightly stress you out. How are we meant to do this? How are we meant to get rid of that plank? Well, the good news is, the good news is, Jesus is really good at getting rid of planks. Jesus is really good at getting rid of planks. He is that great divine eye surgeon who has descended from the heavens above to become a human being and to remove the planks from our eyes through his death which cleanses us, through his resurrection which gives us life, through the coming of his spirit which fills us. Jesus is really good at removing planks. And how does he do that? How does he do that? Well, the way into the Christian life is also the way on in the Christian life. We don't hear the glorious news about how Jesus saves us and then leave it for, for, for yesterday and the years gone by. It is this glorious news which warms our hearts, which changes our thinking, which removes those planks. It comes when we see that those planks are there, when we, when we hear God's word preached in a sermon or read every morning, and we hear these words of the Lord. And in hearing these words, we see ourselves. And in seeing ourselves, we see our fallenness. And in seeing our fallenness, we run to Jesus. Like, ah! Please, can someone save me from this wretch of a man that I am? That I've had, oh, what is it now? Seven years of, of theological training have been shaped by glorious and hard things in my life, and yet I still can't stop judging and condemning. I still struggle to forgive. Help me, Jesus. I need your help. So when we see ourselves, we run to Jesus. And he is glorious, and he is gracious, and he is wonderful. Because when we confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins for being judgmental when we should have known better, for being condemning when we should have used words of love. 
for taking Jesus' place as a judge, because that's the real sin of our judgment, is we think, I'm the judge, and you're the one who's I've got to punish. That's not our role in life. Jesus is the judge. He's the one who will punish. So when we take that judgment position, we're taking his position. But when we run to Jesus, when we confess our sins, then we are forgiven of our sins. And this plank is removed. And that Holy Spirit, from the inside out, starts producing fruit. Glorious, glorious fruit. And what does, what does the fruit of the Holy Spirit then look like in this case? What does it look like when Jesus removes that plank? Well, I heard one story recently. I'm afraid I'm now going to butcher this, um, this man's name. <clears throat> but of a Ugandan, a Ugandan bishop called Festo Kivinaga. I'm sorry if I pronounced that badly. Um, this Ugandan uh, bishop, he, was, um, he lived through uh, and he worked in Uganda through the time of uh, uh, Adi Amin, um, the terrible um, Ugandan dictator. And, um, and he was very good friends with the Ugandan archbishop. And the Ugandan archbishop stood up against Amin um, for, for how he was treating his people and the persecution and the bloodshed. And because this archbishop stood up against this dictator, he was killed. And this Ugandan bishop, Festo, was, he was standing outside the house as this, as, uh, as this all happened, the house of his friend. And once he discovered that his friend had died, well, two days later, he was smuggled out of uh, Uganda in the middle of the night. He just had to get out of there because Armin's persecution would have killed him too. And, and he, he was smuggled out of the country. And then many years later, he wrote the book with one of the most remarkable titles I have ever heard. He wrote this book, I Love Adi Amin. I Love love, Adi Amin. And he shares a story of how God's power helped him to respond against evil with love. That's a remarkable fruit, isn't it? And that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And maybe what, what would this look like for us? What does this fruit look like in our life? Or maybe, maybe it will look like when, when someone throws out that insult, that persecution, instead of just immediately snapping a quick response back, it just means pausing. Pausing before we speak. Maybe, maybe it means that um, the next time we see someone who we might describe as an enemy um, faltering and failing and messing up big time, instead of responding with triumphalism, and joy, we, we, we think about our response and measure it so it's gracious and kind. Maybe it means for us those days, times when we, uh, we just want to give up with that person. We think, oh, this person has pushed me to the edge of my very being. Remember, oh, well, we are Christ's ambassadors in this moment. We are the influencer that God has put in their life. We are the ones who bear the good news. Maybe those times when we think, don't have the strength for this anymore. I don't have the courage. I don't have the words. Maybe those are the times we need to just fall onto the Lord in His grace and ask the Spirit for, for wisdom, for words, for guidance, uh, for strength, for help. Maybe those times where we just feel, oh, this is just too much now. Because no one wants words of hatred. 
Well, we just got to remember. We just got to remember. It is a measure which will be filled, which will be pushed down, which will be shaken, which will be given to us, overflowing. How we treat people, we will be treated. And the glories of heaven is worth any pain in this present age. Let's spend a moment just to reflect on everything the Lord's been saying in his word. And then I will pray. Oh, dearest God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word shows us for who we are. It reveals us for who we are. And it challenges us. We thank you that when we look in the mirror of your word and see the reality of who we are and our weakness and how hard we find it not to judge and to condemn and not to forgive, thank you that when we run to Jesus, we can experience grace and forgiveness and help and healing that he can remove this plank and and enable us to be useful for his kingdom and and for his cause and for his work. Please, Father God, may there be much fruit in our lives by your Holy Spirit. When we experience hatred, may we respond with love. When we experience cruel words, may we respond with kind words. Please, Father God, give us your spirit and fill us so that we may be filled with patience, waiting for that glorious reality of heaven where we will see you face to face, where we will be with you forever and we will have that room in your house and that place at your table and we will have the joy of your company forever and ever and ever. We ask this all in the name of your son, your precious gift of love to us. Amen.